0: Hello, America. Happy Friday. Oh, yes, the weekend is just around the corner. Can't wait to get started. Time for some yard work, some fall, clean up around the house, plant some grass seed. You know the trick. Get on the tractor, mow the lawn, start to pick up some of the leaves that are falling. Yep, it's getting cooler. Trees are getting a little bit of color in them. We're really excited about autumn. I always love the great season of autumn, the onset of Thanksgiving, one of my favorite holidays. All right, folks. Well, as we get lined up for today, we've got two amazing guests Congressman Lee Zeldin, now the Republican nominee for the governor in New York state. And by the way, that state is very much in play. His Democratic opponent, Kathy Hochul, not very popular. And she's got a scandal with her lieutenant governor. She owns a lot of the COVID shutdowns from the Cuomo era and... Congressman Lee Zeldin, he's going to tell us what that race is shaping up like, what we're watching, how crime and the economy are the driving issues for so many New Yorkers in the great empire state. So we'll start with Lee Zeldin, the great congressman, candidate for New York governor. And then we'll finish up with our good friend Mark Meckler from the Convention of the States. He's doing some amazing work at the grassroots level, has his finger on the pulse for many reasons. One, he's got a grassroots army of more than 5 million Americans. That's impressive. Alone. But he also has something else. He's got a polling partnership with the Trafalgar Group, and the Convention of the States are doing some amazing polling, measuring issues that are falling below the radar of most mainstream reporters and mainstream pollsters. Mark's going to bring us up to speed on both of those. What a great show. Back-to-back, Lee Zeldin and Mark Meckler. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll start with Congressman Lee Zeldin right after this message. (laughs) and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale. Four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.US slash Just News. That's AMAC.US forward slash Just News. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, Donus Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account That's DonorsTrust.org slash Trust News. All right, folks, joining us now on the line on the campaign trail in the great state of New York is one of our good friends, Congressman Lee Zelda, now Republican nominee for governor in the great state of New York. Congressman, great to have you on the show. Uh, it's great to be with you, John. You have a lot of traction going on in your campaign, a lot of questions surrounding the incumbent governor. Tell us a little bit about these scandals. There's a donor scandal. There's a lieutenant governor scandal. It seems like culture of corruption has surrounded this governor in her very short tenure.
1: Yeah, Albany already had enough of this corruption. It was toxic enough when she became governor. I mean, the reason why she became governor was because her predecessor had to step down. And then her first big decision was picking a lieutenant governor herself. And she picks Brian Benjamin. Brian Benjamin was the champion of the defund the police movement in the state Capitol where he was a state Senator. Uh, But he already had an investigation that was ongoing, which ended up resulting in his indictment and resignation. So Kathy Hochul of all of her options, she ends up picking as her very first big decision, Brian Benjamin. Fast forward to today uh, and many other scandals in between. Now there's the latest updates came out with a new story by the Albany Times-Union where they're talking about how she gave a no-bid over $600 million contract to one of her top campaign supporters for these COVID tests where she was paying twice the going rate. It's just every single day, new stories of corruption around this uh, around her. And, and there's obviously no way that she's going to be cleaning up Albany.
0: Yeah, listen, 45% more than what California was paying. And California's not known for getting good deals. So it's it's pretty striking when you... See that, another thing that struck me, and she's one of many Democrats this time that doesn't want to debate. We're seeing it with Katie Hobbs down in Arizona. you got an incumbent governor, the job interview is usually to debate, and she doesn't want to debate you, does she?
1: She doesn't, and she knows she's going to lose if she has a debate. The problem is, is I believe she loses even more if she doesn't debate. I believe that we should have at least five debates. She's trying to get away right here with practically nothing. I mean, she hasn't yet said where, when, how many. She'll generally say, as she said over the last few weeks, that uh, she looks forward to debating. Well, let's do it. I mean, in a week, the absentee ballots start going out in New York. I I don't know. Maybe I'm, uh, you know, she says that I'm extreme. Maybe it's extreme that I feel like we should have a debate before people vote. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Crazy idea, right? What a novel idea, right? Yeah. It is amazing. And uh, she can't be playing out too well because the New York Post had their cover ad today and she was in a chicken suit. And I think that doesn't bode well with New Yorkers. New Yorkers like people who are strong. They don't check it out. They rise to the occasion. This is going to dog her until she says yes, isn't it? Oh, no doubt. And it's
1: obviously going to dog her once she does say yes because then she's going to have to actually debate and it's not going to work out well for her. She's on the wrong side of so many different issues. New York leads the entire nation in population law. She doesn't want to talk about cashless bail or Alvin Bragg. She should welcome it. But the problem is, is that she doesn't want to do the right thing. I say repeal cashless bail. She says uh, she needs more data. I say fire Alvin Bragg. She says he just got there. Cut him some slack. He's doing his job. Uh, as far as Kathy Hochul goes, she would rather me, and she's actually said this out loud, she would rather me just get on a bus and move to Florida. She declared that I'm no longer a New Yorker for my views. Well, there are millions of other New Yorkers who feel the same way that I do. Are you saying that millions of New Yorkers should leave the state? And what does that say about her, that this is her response to being challenged? We live in the United States of America. If you want to go you know, run some state in some third world country, well, you know, that's something for another day. And, you know, when she comes back uh, in her next life, but as far as this one, as governor of the state of New York, you have to be willing to be the governor for all New Yorkers. And you should love and cherish, respect our great American process. And that doesn't mean that you silence uh, your and ban and force exile upon somebody who wants to challenge you. you. You should welcome the debate if you think truly that you have the better ideas.
0: Yeah, it really is something. And one idea that she has a problem with or one policy she has a problem with, most of the country has a tight Employment market. They're actually having a hard time finding workers, but New York's unemployment rate keeps ticking up way above the national average. 4.7 grew again in August. Why are people having such a hard time creating jobs in New York?
1: So it's a few things. One is that New York is just not a business friendly state. People who run state agencies target uh, too many businesses with resent, with uh, with, with contempt. You have policies that make it really hard to do business from the tax front, and from the regulatory front, they'll go out of their way to pass bills that uh, that actually try to get rid of industries altogether. And then they try to pass new bills to create new industries where you're picking winners and losers. And then based on your political calculations, you'll get access to, to grant money as opposed to just leveling the playing field across the board. Uh, there's a, a lot. I mean, as far as workforce development and making sure you have labor to work the jobs, a lot of young New Yorkers are deciding that if they want to live the American dream, they can either have their, their kid in the basement of mom and dad's house or they can go buy a home for their, themselves, you know, in the Carolinas or Tennessee or Florida or Texas. Uh, so the, the American, in order for the American dream to be a New York dream, you need to make sure that New Yorkers, especially our young families, uh, are, are, be able, are, are able to have their family, uh, have their own home, and, and live a certain quality of life that allows them uh, to enjoy life and, uh, and not feel like they're living life in poverty. Uh, so there's many aspects of it, but really Kathy Hochul in this state – are in the wrong direction, right across the board on all of it.
0: Yeah, they're running really against the grain of an entire country everywhere else. It's it's a tight job market, but not in New York. It really is remarkable. You have been an outspoken critic of censorship. You put out an ad about the crime record of Democrats and Twitter censors you less than 12 hours after the ad was taking off on social media. Your reaction to Twitter meddling in the race?
1: I, listen, I think that it's wrong. If you want to talk about reality, we're in an election coming up, and we are talking about violence on the streets. These are images that uh, New Yorkers know all too well. This is nothing new. This is the reality for many New Yorkers who want to see our streets our subways our homes our places of employment all made safer. And Twitter is uh, really going way too far above and beyond uh, to silence a voice right now, we we put the ad out a couple days ago. Within about 12 hours or so, we were just under 200,000 views. Then they slapped the label on it, and then here we are a couple days later, and you know, it right now has just over 200,000 views, as opposed to you know, whatever it, it would have had instead. You know, might have been into the into the millions by now. So there's a consequence when. Uh, You suppress that speech. We've seen it in the past. Uh, The New York Post accounts being targeted by Twitter when they were doing their reporting just before the November 2020 election. And then after the fact, you find out that the reporting is true. And then big tech just says, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. Or maybe they don't even say that they're sorry. So it's... It's a real big problem that, you know, it's, it's not just a, a one-off here that we're talking about with our new
0: CBS. Yeah, such a good point. It really is. It, it's, it's jaw-dropping to watch. It's almost alarming. As you look out, as crime seems to be, crime and the economy run neck and neck in New York as the two most important issues. What do you hear from everyday voters in the state?
1: Exactly what you just said. Crime and economy are right there at the very top of the list. The reason why the nation leads the country in population loss is because New Yorkers are hitting their breaking point. They feel like their wallet, their safety, their freedom, the quality of their kids' education are under attack. And they believe, they know that if they go to one of these other states I just referenced, that their money will go further, they'll feel safer, they'll live life freer. That's why New York leads the entire nation in population loss. The craziest thing about this campaign might be that Kathy Hochul is unable to articulate at all. She's unable to finish this very simple sentence. New York leads the entire nation in population loss because what I just told you was the rest of that sentence. She can't even answer it. How can you expect her to fix it? If she doesn't even know how to articulate, she she can't even take a shot at it. If you gave her hours and unlimited attempts to try, she wouldn't even be able to finish it.
0: It's pretty darn remarkable. Another place where you've been very strong on not throwing out the men and women of blue if they don't get a vaccine. There was a big ruling where a NYPD cop was restored to their job by a judge in the last few days, consistent with your policy, inconsistent with Kathy Hochul's. Are the courts starting to wake up and, and come out on the right side of this issue?
1: Well, I certainly believe that that judge made the right decision in this particular case. I believe that nobody should be fired for that personal decision of whether or not to get the COVID vaccine, the COVID shot. If you want to get it, get it. If you don't want to get it, don't get it. But don't do it because government's forcing you to do it. They're threatening you. If you don't, you're losing your livelihood. These people were held as heroes, converted into zeros by uh, these Democrats who have been instituting vaccine mandates and beyond. Uh, And people who loved their job all of a sudden find themselves, out of work, I believe that everyone should be offered their jobs back with back pay. Kathy Hochul, when she was instituting this vaccine mandate and she fired tens of thousands of healthcare workers, she called on New Yorkers to be her apostles and get the shot. Listen, if you want to get it, get it. But don't do it because the governor is calling on you to be her apostle. Give me a break.
0: Yeah, it's such an awkward use of word, even. It's such an unusual thing. Last thing, very interesting dynamic. You are picking up endorsements from really prominent Democrats. Andrew Stein, the latest former borough president for Manhattan. What's going on here? This looks like a coalition building process,
1: huh? Oh, big time. Uh, and earlier in this week, we were on the steps of New York City Hall, endorsed by a sitting New York City councilman, Robert Holden, former state legislators, Ruben Diaz, who's a state senator, Steve Kaufman, who's a state assemblyman, Joe Hikins, a former state assemblyman, a bunch of Democrat leaders, and one person after another giving speeches along the lines of how they've been a Democrat their entire lives. They never voted for Republican. Voting for voting for me on November 8th will be the first time they ever vote Republican. We were getting some speeches like that from some of the group. Uh, so there is a strong coalition. They're citing at the top of the list crime and public safety. And clearly Kathy Hochul is not up to this job of supporting our men and women in blue and making sure that law abiding New Yorkers are in charge of our streets instead of criminals.
0: Yeah, it really is remarkable. And Stein is a large figure. These are big figures in de- democratic politics, not just some person on the sidelines. It really looks well. What is the key for you to close the deal in the final weeks of this election?
1: We need to get our vote out. I mean, it's, it's that simple. We have the votes. Out there to win this race. I mean, we're polling right now just a few points behind, which we're feeling great. We just got to work hard, got to show up. I happen to be talking to you right now at the San Gennaro Festival. We're in Little Italy in, in Lower Manhattan.
0: One of my favorite places.
1: Oh my gosh. We, uh, we, we have uh, just a, an amazing crowd, great food. Uh, yeah, honestly, I wish you, wish you were here and we, we'd be doing this radio interview in person. Uh, but it's just really important for us to just keep working very hard and for everybody out there who supports us to do absolutely everything in our power, taking nothing for granted. This is not about riding in a wave. If you see anybody jumping on a board to ride in a wave, knock them off, tell them to get behind the board. This is about us until the polls close on November 8th, doing everything in our power, to create our waves. The, the, only, the only rule, if we were to reduce it to just one simple rule, nobody should be jumping on any board. Everybody needs to be helping to create this wave.
0: Yeah, it's so important. Well, one thing I knew, I saw you in action here in Washington. You are a tireless worker. You're going to be out there working every voter until the last day. And that's what New Yorkers like. They like people that put in an honest, long day's effort. New Yorkers are great at that. Congressman, an honor to have you on. I know you're going to get back to campaigning. Thank you so much for the time and the update. We're watching this race really closely. Thanks, John. Take care. Thank you. You as well. All right, folks, we'll take a commercial break, and we'll be right back with Mark Meckler after this. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. My next guest is an ideas man, a person who has been really pursuing something that can change the future of our country, fix the problems that we've been whistling at for 30, 40 years, but really haven't done anything to do the growth of the administrative state, the growth of spending, the growth of a large central government, exactly what our founding fathers didn't want. So Mark Merkler set out to create the momentum, and I do mean momentum to create a convention of the states where the states could gather together and rein in a large central government. And he's about two-thirds of the way there. He's moving quickly, and he's joining us today with another update and all the exciting things he's doing. Mark, great to have you on the show.
2: Always good to be with you, John. Thanks for having me.
0: It's an exciting thing that you're involved with, and you have this grassroots army, five to six million large now, engaged. I want to go back to something that happened exactly a week ago today because it's a head-scratcher and it has clearly backfired. Joe Biden gave this unusual speech attacking 50 to 60% of Americans. Anyone who believes that making America great is a a good idea, well, he he laced into them. Clearly, the polls show that that backfired. He dropped, uh, in fact, some of the poll growth he was just starting to experience plummeted right after that. You wrote a really powerful op-ed the other day, and it really caught my attention. Donald Trump targeted elites. Joe Biden targets We the People. Tell us how the speech last week backfired on Joe Biden.
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I just, and I know a lot of people have done this, so I don't want to beat the dead horse, but the visuals were stunning. And I don't know, it's hard to imagine that wasn't intentional, but it's hard to imagine why it would be. In other words, the way he stood up there in front of that deep red, sort of hellish background, it looked like it was Nazi imagery. I'm not trying to liken him to the Nazis. I'm just saying the imagery was there, right?
0: Yeah, and then also using two Marines as props, which is just shocking to have the military involved in that political speech.
2: Absolutely. So I've not seen anything like that before in American history, that kind of imagery. And so I think that's very dangerous in and of itself. It looked dictatorial. It looked foreboding. Now, I think the truth is it was intended to be foreboding. This administration has been openly threatening to freedom-loving patriots all across the country, and not just threatening— but acting in terms of threat. And this is very unusual in the United States of America. And what I mean by that is, look, we've had heated rhetoric since the beginning of our politics, literally. When you go back to the election of 1800, some of the things that they were saying about each other back then would make us blush. So I don't don't have a problem with hard rhetoric in elections. What usually doesn't happen in our elections is a candidate or a sitting president, especially, attacking the American people. Usually what it is, you attack your political opponent, maybe more broadly their party, and you say Republicans, and you're referring to the people in Washington, D.C. But when you directly attack people, and like you said, you know tens and tens of millions of American people, now you've got another thing going. And he's tried to backtrack on that a little bit by saying it wasn't attacking the American people. But look, he talked specifically about people who are pro-life. He talks specifically about people who are pro-traditional marriage and marriage and family. And so he was aiming directly at the hearts of the American people. And I think this is a very dangerous turn in our politics. Yeah,
0: and also what's interesting about it is that its benefit is to a very small group of elitists in America, journalists and intellectuals on the left, it doesn't speak at all to anyone that's the majority of America, the country. And it impugns that majority in a significant way. It's regardless of intention, it seems like it's just purely bad politics to alienate the people you're going to go ask to vote for you in a couple of years. Does he just get bad advice? Is he just that out of tune? Is he caught in some sort of elitist bubble from a political standpoint off the mark?
2: Well, I would say the first thing is that I don't think it's Joe Biden. I mean, I don't believe that Joe Biden is a cogent human anymore. I don't think he really knows what he's saying. I I think they put a speech in front of him. They give him the right mix of uh, drug cocktail, adrenaline, whatever they're putting him on. And he goes up there and he does his best to read from the teleprompter. But it's the people that are around him that are designing this stuff. And I think they do live in a bubble. I think we can tell by their policies they are the most radical leftists in the United States of America. And they're just trying to appeal to that base. And, and there is one really dangerous thing that I see that concerns me is that the vast majority of Democrats, over three quarters of Democrats, thought that the speech was good. They had no problem with it. And so they are appealing to the majority of their base with this kind of rhetoric.
0: Yeah, I think that's the headline here. They they are going for a base of their party that isn't reflective of any majority coalition that you can put together in this country. It's fascinating to watch. And you, you've been doing some amazing polling with the Trafalgar Group and Convention of the States Action. Tell us a little bit about what that polling shows about what Democrats and elitists in Washington are talking about in the gap with what Americans are dealing with and want Washington to be fixing.
2: Yeah. And, and really specifically aiming at Republicans and, you know, I'm a person of the right here in Texas, we don't register to a party and in California I was declined to state when I lived there because I don't, the Republicans just generally don't represent me. Uh, but here's what we saw when we asked them, have the, has the Republican party done what it takes to win your confidence essentially and win your vote. What you find is 53.5, I think it is plus, percentage of Americans say no, that they haven't. So it's a majority of Americans say the Republican party hasn't done what they have to do to win my vote. And it's really, it's a warning sign. It really is. If you look at the Republican party itself, it's about 40% of Republicans say that they haven't done what it takes to win my vote. It's a much higher percentage of independents And so the Republicans better get their act together and they better start acting more muscular in contravention of what Biden is doing. It's not enough to just run against Joe Biden and the Democrats. They actually have to do something and have a plan.
0: Being for something is far more powerful than being against something. And that's in you know, even if Republicans win, because history sort of may be on their side in this election that they can at least pick up the house. The most perilous moment for Republicans will be from January 3rd on when they have to show what they're going to govern, they have to deliver what the American people want, or this is probably one of their last chances to get the majority back. We've been flipping majorities in quicker and quicker time, right? It's every two, four, six, eight years now, but I don't think they get another chance if they don't really deliver what the American people have. Do you think Kevin McCarthy's gonna give a presentation the new contract with America called The Commitment with America later this month? We think it's gonna be in Pennsylvania, that's what we're hearing. What does Kevin McCarthy's action plan have to have to speak to not just the 40% that are rock solid conservatives, but the 20% that are the independents at the side elections?
2: Yeah, I think it has to be incredibly muscular without being overly partisan. In other words, it's got to focus on the issues. And when I say muscular, I'm talking Hulk muscular. (laughs) He needs to break out of his shirt and jacket, and he needs to explain to the American people in a very muscular way what he's going to do to restore the economy that's within Congress's powers. In other words, what people are really thinking about is the economy. They're going to the grocery store. We just saw food prices up 11.4%. We saw the overall inflation rate 8.3% ticking up again. The people are struggling out there. He's going to have to address the economy. He's going to have to address energy independence. We have blackouts going on in California. I think we're going to see more of that around the country as winter settles on the country. So he's going to have to address energy independence. He's going to have to address crime. We have a crime wave running rampant across much of this country in the big cities. How are Republicans going to address that? Are they going to deal with the things that affect everyday Americans? Are they going to play inside the beltway? Look, I, I always have hope, but I'm not too hopeful because I'm talking about Kevin McCarthy and the Republican Party.
0: You're not a fan of Kevin McCarthy thus far, right? And what does he have to do to earn? So he's got to come out and be a political hulk later this month. But what does he need to show to be his own trend-setting speaker? If he were to get to be speaker, what does he need to do? He's always sort of been a conciliator, kind of working through and taking the path of least resistance. But what does he need to show to be the sort of leader that would rally a 60% majority of the country behind him?
2: Yeah, I think what he's going to have to do is actually lead and conciliate. In other words, a good leader is pushing his caucus to do the right thing, and it's pushing them into the moves to take power and use the power. They have a, a specific example that I would take is Joe Biden says he's going to double the size of the IRS, 87,000 new agents. I would call them thugs out there to harass us. mccarthy needs to say yeah there's no funding for that we're the house of representatives we control the purse and under no circumstances will we provide any funding for that i think he should do the exact same thing with the fbi i'm a fan of doing away with the fbi and starting over again but if he won't do that he needs to say there's not going to be funding for the fbi unless we get this series of reforms you know right now the american people are terrified of the irs and the fbi we should never be terrified of our own government And the FBI is going into Hardy's restaurant and cornering Mike Lindell as he drives through and stealing his cell phone. And we're seeing them do these things in the most public, notorious and outrageous ways possible. So he has to show that he has a plan to rein these agencies in.
0: It's really striking, too, you know, when you talk about Mike Lindell, the fact that we haven't seen a single Democrat, I can't remember a single Democrat, treat it like the last 50 or 60 or 70 Republicans, even though they're, you know, listen, in the, just the law of averages say that Democrats have uh, legal issues, too. Why is it that we're seeing uh, so much focus just on Republican conservative causes? And does it create an automatic perception with people that now the FBI become a political police, not a law enforcement police agency?
2: Yeah, of course it does, and, and the reason that we're seeing it is because I think it's very intentional. I think they're weaponizing these agencies against Republicans and against conservatives because they don't want us in action during the elections specifically. Because They see only two possible results in the election. They win or they cheat and win, <laughs> and that's the way they look at it. They are totalitarians by nature, and they believe that they should control everything, and so I can tell you from being out there with grassroots, people are actually regular people are scared of the FBI right now. They're scared of the FBI showing up. I have people asking me in our organization, should we be fearful? I just had our outside counsel prepare a memo telling us what to do. Should the FBI knock on our door? I never expected that I would need something like that. We're going to be sharing that with the movement. And so what they're trying to do is to, is to chill political speech and political activity. And it's, actually quite successful. People are very nervous about the federal government coming after them. And it's not unreasonable for people to be nervous about that.
0: Biden had a code word in his speech, and all of the folks around him use it, that the danger is people are trying to subvert democracy. And what I think he means by that is we want to quash dissent. And when I look at the history of this nation, right from its moment of birth, it was born as a nation of dissent, a nation where people could speak their mind and battle it out, and the best idea would win through majority rule and constitutional republic. The idea that dissent now is openly being discussed as needing to be crushed, that, that that is what allowing dissent would allow people to subvert democracy. It seems like it's the complete opposite of what a democracy is. How much do you think everyday people realize that the end goal of the left right now is to crush dissent?
2: Yeah, I think that is the end goal of the left. And I think people's perception of that is absolutely accurate. And it's, this is so funny, Tom, because whatever they accuse us of is projection. I and mean, this is the truth of
0: I've heard that so many times. Yes, it's true.
2: And so, like, I want to explain why it's absolutely true in this moment. They're calling us fascists, right? And the inventor of fascism as a system was uh, Mussolini. And Mussolini said that fascism could be defined as everything inside the state, nothing outside of the state, and nothing against the state. And that is essentially the manifesto of the Democrat Party now. There's nothing that they can't touch with government They believe that everything should be handled by government, and now they've added the last plank of Mussolini's three planks, which is there should be no dissent. And they are coordinating specifically with the social media giants, the tech companies, and lots of other corporations to crush dissent. So they are acting as fascists, and so people's perceptions are correct in that regard.
0: Yeah, really remarkable to see this moment. I want to turn a little bit to the negative attention, the effort to crush the spirit and dissent of the Convention of the States movement in a second. But before I do, I know you're always looking for novel ideas. And and a scenario that could play out next year is we could have, Republicans could have just one chamber of the Congress. They could have both, but they're still not going to have the White House. And so the budget dance becomes what we've seen often in past years, a muddled mess There's an idea that Andy Biggs uh, floated right here on this show about a week or so ago of resurrecting an old rule. It's been around, believe it or not, since 1876 or 77, it looks like. And its goal, it's called the Holman Rule. And what it proposes is that any member of Congress can alter a spending bill, an appropriations law, on a majority vote so that you can defund a particular agency or bureaucrat or program if it isn't complying with the wishes of government. Hasn't been around. They kind of tinkered with it back in 2017, but Paul Ryan never really used it. Bringing this back and allowing the appropriations law to be the enforcement mechanism of the will of Congress. What do you think of that idea?
2: I love that idea. And you you asked earlier what I thought Kevin McCarthy had to do to be a real leader. That's it. If he gets that rule passed and allows members to propose amendments, And then it requires a simple majority vote to to insert these things under the Holman rule. I mean, literally they can take out any amount of money in the bill. They could say, for example, as I said, okay, no, we're not gonna fund those 87,000 agents in the IRS. They could say, we're gonna get rid of bureaucrats like Anthony Fauci. And it allows them to specifically target with a lack of appropriations, a lack of spending money, anything that they want to in the federal government. And I think this comports with the will of the framers of the constitution all spending was to initiate in the House, and they didn't want the House to be able to be blackmailed and be forced to spend money on things that didn't comport with their wishes. And so I think this is a fantastic idea. I think if McCarthy will get this out there, get it voted on, get it passed, and used it, I think he'd be an American hero.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely gaining some traction. I've talked to a lot of folks in the Congress and certainly the House Freedom Caucus. Even some people outside the House Freedom Caucus love the idea on the Republican side. So I think it's got some uh, momentum. It'll be very interesting to see if that turns up to be one of the items in Kevin McCarthy's agenda when he unveils it later this month. Uh, let's turn for the last segment of the interview here, Mark, to the extraordinary work you've done. You're nearly two-thirds of the way to the 34 states. of the year. at 19 now, could be at 21 pretty soon. As you get closer, the aerial attacks through the news media and through elitist organizations are mounting. And I want you just to address some of the things that people are saying. It seems to me like they realize the Constitution of States is potentially a reality, and it scares anyone who likes a big government or a big administrative state. Am I misreading those uh, articles?
2: No. In fact, it's funny. The first big hit piece came out from Business Insider about six weeks ago. And one of the things that they said over and over in the article is that they were horrified because we could actually call a convention of states, And the Congress, the president, and the courts couldn't do anything about it. And they were horrified by that. And I looked at those things and just said, yeah, yeah, exactly right. (laughs) that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to return the power to the American people. And I would say it was interesting. I mean, other than the stuff, they always talk personal trash about anybody involved in it. Yeah, of course. But when they talked about the movement and what it had the power to do, they were entirely right. And they feared that would affect their ability to control the administrative state from Washington, D.C., and thus control the lives of Americans. So as I read those articles, I literally thought, well, I I probably would have paid you to write
0: this
2: (laughs) 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 you'd you'd come to me.
0: They're actually realizing. And by the way, the the other fun thing about this is this actually is what the founding fathers saw as the solution. Should we get to this moment in history? So they also, when they speak out against this, they're not only speaking out against your movement, they're actually speaking out against the wisdom of the Founding Fathers who created this great nation. It's so amazing.
2: Yeah, that is absolutely true. And so we had the hit piece by Business Insider, MSNBC, Vice, so everybody picked it up. And then, amazingly, about 10 days ago, a former senator from Wisconsin, I'm sure you remember, some people will, Russ Feingold from Wisconsin, one of the leftists ever to serve. He wrote an entire book, Attacking Convention of States, I'm named in the prologue. Uh, Senator Rick Santorum, who works for us, is named in the prologue. We are apparently the most dangerous people in America right now. That book was picked up. ABC Primetime News did a 15-minute interview on it. New York Times covered it. It's all over the place on the left. To his credit, uh, Russ Feingold took us very seriously, and he said – The left ought to be very worried because these people are way further along even than the numbers indicate. These are serious people with serious funding doing serious work and they're way ahead of us on the left. And then he said all the stuff, you know, they're going to take the power away from Washington, D.C. They're going to take the power away from the administrative state. Uh, They're going to get rid of the Department of Education and return it to the states. They're going to get rid of the EPA and return it to the states. And to all that, I said, yes, hallelujah. (laughs) I mean, that is what we're trying to do. So. He nailed it, and honestly, he treated us more seriously and with more respect than some on the right do. Of course, he doesn't like what we're trying to do. He's not quiet about that. But that was a warning shot that he sent up to the radical left in America that they need to fight against us.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. There are what three ballot initiatives this fall? Is it two or three that will be on the ballot this fall for convention state?
2: Yeah, there aren't any that I'm aware of, John.
0: Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought Alaska had put it on the ballot, but I might be wrong about.
2: They actually have something – what Alaska's got going, and I've talked to those folks, they've got something going on their own constitution. I see. That's whether to have a constitutional convention. They have that opportunity to put that on the ballot. So they're looking to do some reforms up there. They have a constitution which has ensconced some very radical left-wing stuff and conservatives up there are looking to overturn
0: that. I see. So that's the focus. But not that's not the federal convention of the states that we're all talking about.
2: No, and you can't do that as a ballot initiative because the Constitution itself, itself says the
0: legislatures have to call for it. That's a great point. That's the difference. Okay, that makes some sense to me. I'm glad I'm getting right on that. When you look at this now, there'll be a lot of energy coming out of the election. And I wanted to ask you, where... That energy should be focused. If Republicans have one or more of the chambers of Congress on November 9th, where do you start that energy? I mean, crime, inflation seem to be the state of the economy all seem to be so critically threatening right now. But where would you say, hey, Republicans on day one, start here on the map?
2: Yeah, I mean, if it were me on day one, I would start with the economy and energy because energy is interrelated with the economy. The American people are suffering and you have to address the suffering of the American people. And the way to do that for the Republicans quickly and easily is to address the size and scope of the federal government. Cut the budget. Stop the spending because the spending is leading to the inflation. The inflation is a it's a blind tax taking money out of people's pockets. And we've got to get inflation under control. By the way, there's going to be some pain in getting inflation under control. So people are going to have to be tolerant of that. But inflation is the first thing to tackle, freeing up our energy markets and working to help make us energy independent again. There's only so much Republicans can do on that because the president has a lot of authority there, but they need to be pushing on that. Those are the two things that I would focus on first. Then I would go to education and putting education back in the control of local people, stopping all the madness that's going on in our education system. Those are probably that would be the top of my list.
0: Do you like the idea of a parent's bill of rights, something that gets enshrined or something school districts just can't take away from parents?
2: Yeah, you know, I'd have to think about whether I really want that at the federal level. I'm always I'm concerned when we impose conservative things at the federal level, That then the left looks at that and says, hey, when we get power, we'll just impose them, the liberal. And I really, look, I, I, I'm not necessarily opposed to that in this sense. If it really is a bill of rights, then that means in California that the leftist parents can do whatever they want. And I'm a fan of that. I don't like what they're going to do, but I want them to be able to do whatever.
0: But you they want, want to have that power. That's right.
2: So if the bill of rights genuinely gives parents the power at the local level in the school districts all over the country, then I would be in favor of that.
0: Yeah, that's a great interesting thing. It's going to be fun to see if that shows up in, in some of the ideas in the next few weeks. Mark, it's always an honor to have you on the show. For people who are inspired about what you're doing, want to get involved, what's the best way to get involved with the great work you're doing with Convention of the States?
2: They can go to conventionofstates.com. They can sign up and volunteer. And I'm going to say something to you, John, that I never, ever said. I don't literally don't think I've ever said this on a radio program. With the left coming at us with a full-fledged assault right now, we need your financial support too. So you can click on the Donate button. Uh, look, my goal right now is to get a million people to give five bucks. That would really help us out, help us be in the air war against the radical left. So go to com, get involved, sign up, but also hit that Donate button and donate five bucks today.
0: Yeah, it's a, a, a small investment on a big a big idea. So it's, a, it's an amazing thing to watch what you're doing. Very exciting to To watch the debate and also I tell you, I think one of the great benefits of the last year, I guess as Mark as a journalist, it's really nice to have those polls with you and Travagra Group, because you're polling issues that I think are falling below the elitist radar in Washington, but they're really measuring what everyday Americans want. And I just wanna shout out the great work you're doing on that because it benefits all of us to have that measure of public sentiment so we can be smarter in, in the country.
2: You bet. We'll continue to do those as well, John.
0: Yeah, a lot of fun. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike. kidneys and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens All right, folks, that wraps up the Friday edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Justin News. Thank you for showing up. Thanks for listening, sharing the podcast, telling your friends about it, supporting our advertisers and our sponsors and our incredible partners who make the Justin the News brand, the Justin the News News Report, the John Solomon listening experience, and of course the television show Just the News Not Noise every night at 6 p.m. on Real America's Voice. We couldn't do it without those extraordinary advertisers. And we want to thank all of them today. Remember, they all have services. They all have products. They're top in class. That's why we love partnering with them. You always want to check out what they've got going. And one of those things that I'm a big fan of is the firearm safety and training classes that I-H-E-A, I-H-E-A puts together. These are shooting safety classes that are bought by some of the biggest outdoor sites in America i know this listen i own guns i'm proud of the second amendment i'm proud of my gun ownership but i'm also proud that safety competency and responsibility are the first three requirements in my gun ownership i want to be competent i want to be safe i want to be responsible i want to keep my muscle memory going my accuracy going keep all of my safety skills at the forefront of my brain, not in the back, where it fades in the clutter of the busyness. And the best way to do that is to take one of the safe shooting skills and training courses that IHEA has put together. How do you get to that? It's really easy. All you gotta do is visit the website, ffcourse.org, ffcourse.org, that's pretty cool, right? It's easy to remember. Take one of the accessible online courses. You're gonna build the muscle memory. You're gonna have a better grasp of safety and competence and responsibility. And they're fun to take. I took one. I love it. I think these things are amazing. So to finish what you started every day, meaning that once you buy a gun, it's a lifelong commitment to safety, competency, to responsibility. Well, sharpen up your skills right now. Go to ffcourse.org. Learn how to safely shoot, store, and care for your firearm from one of the most important voices in gun safety, IHEA. Take one of those accessible online courses today. You will not regret it. I love it. You'll love it. One more time, that's ffcourse.org. All right, guys, that wraps up the Friday edition of John Solomon Reports from Just the News. I hope you're having a great weekend, that you got some plans. Get out in the back porch, have a glass of wine, pull that wine out of that wine fridge you got from our good friends at wineenthusiast.com and start the weekend on the right foot. All right, or on the right drink, I might say. All right, have a great weekend. God bless you. We have a great lineup of shows all weekend long, including on Sunday You're going to want to hear the interview we did with Jim Jordan and a guy named Mike Glover, a Green Beret who was smeared by the FBI as a domestic violent extremist when he wasn't. Even when he was cleared, though, the tag, the fake tag, the wrong designation stuck with poor Mike. You're going to hear from Jim and Mike and many others on the Sunday edition, a very powerful edition. All right, folks, have a great rest of the night. Get ready for the weekend. We'll be back tomorrow with our Saturday edition followed by our Sunday edition. We got you covered all weekend long. And of course, whenever you need a breaking news fix, you know where you go, Justinnews.com. We got you covered all the time. All right, have a great night. God bless. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion. Hunter Biden and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.